Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll Podcast with myself, one of your hosts, Mr. Laz Michaelides, and on the screen opposite me, your other host, Mr. Felipe Amorim. How you doing, bro? All right, bro, and you? Yeah, very well, thank you. What's going on today? Well, same old, loads of teaching, and I have a gig immediately after this recording. So Fantastic. Are you by any chance playing any 60s rock and roll at this gig, or is it just blues? No, it's just blues this time. Uh, blues, country, and rockabilly. Oh, maybe some fifties rock and roll, not sixties. Yeah. Oh, no, not are we gonna are we gonna talk about anything from the sixties? Is that it? We are. So, I mean, without further ado, I want to I want to get in straight away because it's a big album. There's lots to talk about. So, the album we are doing today is arguably one of the most famous albums in modern Western contemporary music. Um, we are doing. Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, um, which is an album I chose to do. Um, quick few facts before we get in, because I don't really want to get into all the, all the nitty gritty facts of it. I just want to discuss this with Felipe. Uh, released uh, May 1966, recorded between July 65 and April 66, 36 minutes le- in length, produced and written by Brian Wilson. Um, Felipe, where do you want to start, man? I mean, I've got so much to say about this, but I'm going to start. I'm going to start by giving you a shocking information about my relation with this album. Oh, okay, go for it. I I wasn't familiar with Pet Sounds at all. Uh, what before? You mean in general, or before well, this before episode? Before we started my research for this episode. Fantastic. Obviously, when I'm saying not familiar, it means I, I have I have never listened to this album start to finish. Oh. I I knew some of the singles and I and I obviously knew the cover and I yeah. knew about them, but for some reason I never got into the Beach Boys and I'm not an wow. I'm not afraid to confess this here. That's because, fine. I know, that, bro, because... some bands you just never they never appeal to you in any way and just didn't listen to more than a couple of songs. But honestly, and bro, it's this... shocking because they are they so famous, right? But there's times where I feel like every album I suggest that we do, I feel like you go, oh, yeah, I know this band. Or, oh, yeah, I've heard this album because you're older than me. Naturally, I think yeah. you've listened to more. I'm so glad that we're in this position. i got to ask you straight away, what, what did you think of it? Um, when I think about it, the the only thing that comes to my mind is the historical like con- context of the album. It okay. makes me think of, imagine how it was to how he felt to to listen to those songs on the radio at the time yeah and if i think if i think about it how it sounds now it does make me think a lot of uh movie soundtracks and tv soundtracks in many ways for the instrumentation and the weird sounds they have in it Absolutely. it's kind of not uh it doesn't sound revolutionary if i think about the things that have been done after it but if you think about the context 1966 yeah so if i listen to the arrangements from this album thinking about the fact it has been released in 1966 it's pretty amazing it is isn't it? do you like it as an album do you like the songs i like it and i like it because in in a certain way it's it's a concept album isn't it yeah it's, it's a con- let's go straight in there it's a concept album about the life of brian jones at this point now i think it's important to say that the, brian wilson or did i say brian jones oh god did i say that at the start as well <laughs> Did I say Brian Jones at the start? No, he said Brian Wilson. Okay, so I only got it it wrong once. They're both great musicians. Exactly, yeah. Brian Wilson. So it is the life and emotional state of Brian Wilson. And this album was essentially an autobiographical centerpiece of his life. Uh, Lyrically, he took a lot of inspiration from his own life and what was going on. 
Yeah, and, and uh, apparently, because I again, I'm not really familiar with, with the band at all. The the the, the lyrics before they did all the songs that were about surfing and girls and cars and like yeah. typical American teenage band, and to talk about deeper emotions and and relationships and that kind of stuff. It wasn't what the audience or the label were expecting for that. Yeah. From so the label didn't quite like it. They even pushed a uh, um, best of album immediately after this one and to, to, to kind of try to focus on it. Oh, yeah. wow. Interesting. Yeah. The, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the surf stuff because the Beach Boys were essentially one of those surf bands that kind of transitioned into rock and pop. Um, the, the beach theme of the Beach Boys ended in 1964. That's when kind of they put a hole on their surfing records. Um, Brian Wilson chose to stop touring and write more classically inspired albums. And he began this in 1965. Now, there is a particular album that Wilson came uh had had inspiration from when writing pet sounds and that was the beatles rubber soul which we did in episode 22 so it's actually if if you haven't listened to episode 22 of our podcast you should go back and listen to it because we're going to see a lot of similar themes although musically is very different the core of each album is the same they both wanted to write albums that had no filler and that meant something from start to finish. And Brian Wilson said that he wanted to create music on the same level as Rubber Soul. And there's a famous story of him talking to his wife and say, listening to Rubber Soul and coming away and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and write the greatest rock album ever. Yeah, I mean, what a statement, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's kind of impossible to talk about this album without talking about the Beatles. Yeah. And it's it's funny because it, it it feels to me like as the Beatles were always somehow haunting Brian Wilson like, yeah. for for his whole uh, music life, and he just wanted to be as good as, as the Beatles or, or better in that case. Um, it, it I, I'm going to ask you one question: Has he achieved that? Was it was a bit too much of a strong statement to say the greatest rock album of all times? Like you. Yeah. You're going to hear my thoughts on it in my monologue at the end. So I'm going to leave that open-ended. But what I will say is how different it is to a Beatles record or to the Beatles record that we're talking about, which is Rubber Soul. Now, I think the first thing to address, and you said this right at the start, is the instrumentation. It made you think of things like film soundtracks. That's very normal because it was very... um, classically oriented it has a classical feel to it if you go and listen to the roots of the beatles you're you're hearing the blues that's kind of obvious uh the blues rock and roll you know whereas when you come to the beach boys we know that their roots were in that same sort of stuff the rock and roll and the surf but brian wilson actively tried to make this a classically sounding album and i think that there is the first distinguish uh, the first distinguishing factor between rubber soul and this album is that rubber soul came from the blues and uh, pet sounds came from a classically inspired sound exactly and it's interesting because <laughs> this it's such a weird motivation i think to write an album i want to be better than the other guys yeah but- it worked. I mean, in a, in a way that it, it pushed him really hard to 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 the limit of his creativity, to the point he let go of even playing. Right, and uh, the band. The, the the one thing I find particularly interesting, which when I was listening to it first, it kind of upset me. 
And by the end of the album, I changed my mind. It's really, really weird. My first okay. listen to the album was like, well, they're singing, the harmonies are beautiful, but they're not actually playing, right? There's loads of like, because the, you know, the, the, there's classical instruments and, you know, French horns and, and weird objects. And they used, that's really interesting to mention, they used the Wrecking Crew, which was uh, an LA session band, you know, session musicians who used to work for different artists like like Sinatra, like the Mamas and the Papas. And there's no like fixed lineup for the Wrecking Crew. There's loads of people. Uh, one of the most famous of them is Hall Blaine, the, the drummer. So I knew about them because of him, because I'm familiar with this particular drummer who is one of the best of all times. But so the fact that they were using session guys for literally everything, plus uh, uh, experimenting with sounds, and the only thing that the band really does in the album is singing, mm. I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's not very rock and roll, is it? Like, come on. <laughs> I want a rock and roll band to be playing, you know, yeah. playing the instruments. You know, that's what a rock band does. <laughs> By the end of the album, I understood that was that was a compromise in order to achieve the exact concept Brian Wilson was yeah. looking for. And I have the utmost respect for him for doing it like that because it works. <laughs> it does, it does. <laughs> that's rock and roll. <laughs> you, you mentioned The Wrecking Crew. Now, just to, to, to clarify, The Wrecking Crew in this particular album, as Felipe said, they were like kind of this group of session guys. Uh, but for this album, there was 57 different instrumentalists, including the drummer Felipe mentioned, uh, a, a bass player called Carol Kay, who is huge influence to bass players. Um, you know, if you're a bass player, you'll know her. She, she came up with that bass line on Good Vibrations. Uh, and also in The uh, Wrecking Crew was Glenn Campbell, who is a singer-songwriter from America. He did a famous song called The Wichita Lineman. Uh, again, as usual, guys, any songs we mention will be in the playlist below, so check it out in the show notes. Um, now, I read somewhere that there is an average of 12 different musicians on each track for this album, which is really cool, isn't it? Because there's just so much going on. I think... And, and isn't it that there's a concept there, like when you want to achieve a certain sound, um, well, to quote themselves <laughs> uh uh you gotta let go of your ego and, and and find uh you know like if if someone else can play that part in a way that you can't play so hire someone who can do it and that in that case i think by not playing the instruments in the album i think the band was making it more about the songwriting than anything else although we keep talking about you know how how uh, uh, revolutionary the whole thing was, like like so much innovation with with different instruments and production styles and everything. But by doing that, he actually emphasized the the songwriting, which is you know amazing yeah. when you think about it. As incredible. And there's a particular quote here. This is particularly for the song song six called "Let's Go Away for a While." Um, the song itself is an instrumental and it's very jazzy. Now. Before I get back to my point, I will just say quickly that there's two other artists who I'm going to mention a lot in this episode. The first one we've already mentioned is The Beatles, and the second one is Frank Zappa. Because during this time in the sort of mid to late 60s, you had you had the transition of the Beatles in Britain going from blues and the rock and roll to a more defined pop sound. You had the Beach Boy, uh, we'll go to the other end. You had Zappa taking the doo-wop, taking the blues, taking the rock and roll and going very avant-garde and very weird. And then in between them, you got the Beach Boys 
who did the same thing, took the rock and roll, took the surf, took the blues, and met in the middle. They had enough pop to appeal to a mass audience, unlike Zappa, but they had enough avant-garde, proggy jazziness to kind of stand out from the rest of the pop acts. So the reason I said this is because track six, Let's Go Away For A While, is an instrumental and it's very Zappa-esque to me. Reminds me of a Zappa song called Lumpy Gravy, which will be in the playlist. Um, but there's a particular quote I read about this song. Uh, I can't remember who said this, but listen to this. What's special about this is not that Brian was trying to introduce classical music into rock and roll, but that he was trying to get classical musicians to play like rock musicians. And he was, and he was pushing really hard for that, wasn't it? He was like yeah. demanding a lot from the musicians on studio. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's um, references of him like uh, singing the sounds he wanted to come from from the horns or from percussion like i want you to play this so yeah. like i'm making a sound with my mouth and i just want you to yeah <laughs> somehow get that sound out of your instrument and again it's a step back from playing and basically putting your brain entirely into being creative yeah so, and it's like I have the ideas in my mind, and I'm going to get loads of people who are really capable of executing those those ideas and bringing them to life. Mm. And even for songwriting, he had a partner for this album, uh, Tony Asher. That's, that's right. Yeah, do you want to tell him about Tony? Well, there's the most interesting thing about him is he, he was writing jingles for an advertising company, including for the Barbie doll. So, oh, really? <laughs> wow. so he was doing jingles for toys and stuff like that. <laughs> And uh, so think about it. That makes him a, a, a very, uh, um, um, how can I put it? He's a specialist in, in, in doing commercial music. Yeah. So yeah. something that's accessible, direct, and in your face. Because when you write a jingle, it's a few seconds long, and you need to deliver all the information and make people want to buy something. Imagine that guy writing pop music. That might be one of the reasons why the songs are so short. And the I was going to say, not... imagine if imagine if he was the one who had to say to Brian Wilson, Brian, listen, mate, that's just a bit too far. Let's just rein it in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There's a great quote here um, from Tony Asher, who he said, the general tenor of the lyrics was always his. Brian Wilson's, and the actual choice of words was usually mine. I was really just his interpreter. I love that because that really shows a working together between these two, doesn't it? Um, well, Brian, go on. You know, what, what I read about them is they, they, they got together and they, uh, they were smoking weed together and, yeah. and, and, and creating in that, exactly as, as you said, Brian Wilson would say, I want to talk about this. Can you write the lyrics about this specific feeling? And he would go on, go on and write those lyrics. And uh, it's it's just the I think he managed to, to grasp the concept, you know. It's like how can you bring someone else's ideas to life, uh, you know, in such a in such a perfect way as it yeah. did. And I mean, I, I want to just continue with lyrics for one second because uh, I don't really have much to say. I know you're normally the lyrics guy, but there is one lyric that that captured my. I don't know what word to use, not heart, but it really made me feel like I was listening to something so original and so uh, personal to this one person, obviously the person being Brian Wilson. The, 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 the lyric is in track three called That's Not Me. Mm. And my favourite lyric is this. 
I could try to be big in the eyes of the world, but what matters to me is what I could be to just one girl. Oh, wow. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember the line. It's, it's, it is fantastic. Yeah. So I was just going to say, you've got a man who is finding and achieving success with his, with his band, with his songwriting. He could try to be big in the eyes of the world, but all that matters to him is what he could be to just one girl. And I get I get goosebumps talking about it because that particular the chord progression that goes on underneath that it really hits a hits a a special place in me musically it just works so well and I just felt such a vulnerability listening to this even God what fifty sixty years later listening to this and still being in the imagine being in the shoes of Brian Wilson who sat there wants to write this epic rock album that would, could, and maybe is uh, the best ever, but he's not focusing on his, his or his already achievements and what, what this album could mean to him. He's focusing on what, on personal lyrics. And do you remember we said exactly the same thing about Rubber Soul? We said Rubber Soul was the album where the Beatles stopped singing about boy meets girl, girl falls in love, all this stuff. And they started talking about themselves. Doesn't that just immediately open up an avenue between artist and audience of saying, this is me, come and take what I'm feeling. You know, I'm, I'm telling you how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, uh, we, we also said this when we were talking about uh, Breakfast in America by, by Supertramp. There's loads of stuff that's like reflecting on your own feelings and how how you uh, react to the world around you or to a, a person who you're with. And it's, you know, pop music does that, you know, pop bands do that, but they do that at a very superficial level, in my opinion, in yeah. general, you know, like uh, I would say modern pop music, as we tend uh, to go back to the past with our podcast instead of going into more modern music. If you compare the lyrics at the time, uh, I think there were loads of rock artists trying to dig deep into their feelings. And, and so like, what makes me human, you know, yeah. and, and what is love for me? So it's yeah. not like what is love in general. And it's not, it's funny because at the beginning of the album, the, the first song, uh, uh, wouldn't it be nice is, is a single, Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing song. It's a shuffle up tempo, super cool song. It yeah, starts like uh, uh, with the vocals, really strong. Uh, but it's a very naive approach to love. It's like, you know, like what if we live together kind of vibe. It would yeah. be so cool, this and that. And it, it gets darker as the album progresses. As <laughs> yes, you're right, yeah. Losing his loved one. And I, I, I read this thing on, on the Rolling Stone magazine. There's an article about the album. And they say something that I think... It, it, it really sums up the, the, the content of the lyrics. It's youthful optimism versus adult cynicism. <laughs> and that's the album, isn't it? Because it starts with, wouldn't it be nice is the full-blown optimism. And maybe Caroline No at the very end is the adult cynicism. <laughs> yeah. Polar opposites. Brilliant stuff. It's, it's what it is. And, and, but it, it, that story just flows. That is the main thing. I think the one thing they achieved uh, that even the Beatles couldn't achieve is um, there's a sense of unity in the album with all the craziness, all the experiences they make in there. There's a sense of unity as this is a story told from start to finish. Whilst when you listen to Robo and Sgt. Peppers, there's a concept about production 
but the songs were written individually and they, they are independent songs. They're yes. not part of a concept. They're not telling right. one story. Yes. So Rubber Soul, Sgt. Peppers are amazing albums. But when I think about a concept album, I would say The Wall is a concept album. There's a story. Uh, um, Metropolis Part 2 by Dream Theater is a concept album. There's a story. Yeah. This one... Although you can, that, that's that's the the, the 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 magic of this album. You can isolate the songs and listen to them as individual, like love songs or relationship songs. But when you piece them all together, there's a story being told and the instruments are a big part of it. And they keep the concept together. They tie the album together in a way that maybe no other album has ever achieved before. So talking more about those instruments and the creativity and the avant-gardeness, you know, I did mention Frank Zappa. And funnily enough, Frank Zappa in 1966 um, released the album Freak Out, which was a concept album. Uh, or was it 67? Uh, that's that, that's my bad. My my favourite composer, I've forgotten his debut album. I'm, I think it's 66. Don't need to remember every single year, man. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> um, does. But it is fantastic because, like I said, you've got these three albums. You've got Rubber Soul, Pet Sounds, and Freak Out, which has the hugely different um, levels of avant-garde and poppiness in. So, for example, the second song of this album, You Still Believe Me, yeah. the bicycle horn at the end of it, do you notice that when it comes in, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's the just ridiculous. Horn, yeah. But two years before that, Frank Zappa appeared before he was a songwriter on a TV show and he played the bicycle. He turned a bicycle upside down on a TV show, spun the wheels and got a drumstick and was tapping the spokes of the wheel whilst pressing a bell in time and just taking this different approach to sound. Uh, and this is what um, the Beach Boys have done here. I think it's so interesting that we're hearing such a poppy sound coming from a, a, a man who is so obviously trying to push the boundaries of what sound is. I mean, it sounds to me like they've tried to make a pop album using as many non-pop instruments and sounds as they could. You know, many unorthodox instruments like bicycle bells, French horns, flutes, the theremin, string sections, even drink cans they did. But... Is that not the 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 proof of a of an incredible and incredibly eclectic music mind at work? Yeah, I mean, uh, it is because in the end, those things can go really wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? They can. Yeah, well, this you know, Pink Floyd attempted to do an album with without instruments, just yeah. using objects and stuff, and they dropped the idea because they said really? it's it's just sounding like crap. So we don't want to believe it. And <laughs> so it's just funny. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it what you would expect? You know, sounds like crap. I just like imagining being in that recording studio and David Gilmore going, "Guys, this sounds like shit. We can't do this." We yeah, can I just play my fucking guitar? But <laughs> <laughs> that's it. There's no like electric guitars, and and there's a uh, uh, there's a the song. I know there's an answer. There's yeah. a harmonica being used as a bass. I mean, no, there's a bass in the song, but there's a kind of a second bass line played by the harmonica. So really low notes on the harmonica instead of the high notes we usually get from that instrument. Fantastic. And it's it's like it's, sometimes you're using the an instrument that is somehow conventional, but not using it in a conventional way. Uh, I, I'm going to mention a, um, a songwriter, composer um, from Brazil, a guy called Hermeto Pascual. And I'll send you some stuff so we can put on the link for everyone. Can you say, can you say that slower for for others who... What, what's the name? Hermeto Pascual. Hermeto Pascual. 
Yes, exactly. With an H at the beginning. Excellent. You got so to send us this guy. Before, this before guy, you explain about him, send send us over a YouTube video, and I'll put it in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, because he 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 used to to make sounds of toys and and objects, and and he had a concept that was that was um, uh, he's still going, I guess, still doing gigs and stuff. Uh, the the idea was, um, unusual music with conventional instruments or. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, um, conventional music with unusual instruments, <laughs> but never, you know, the conventional stuff with the the, the instruments you know, never. never. And maybe uh, in a certain way is what's happening in this album, right? Yeah, yeah, pushing the boundaries, you know, going for something. I mean, the whole approach to it is very different. I mean, one, one thing that was very, very uh, important and uh, a huge... A, a, a wholly new approach to pop music was the hugely different approach to chords because they yeah. he really messed around with chords voicings and arrangements you know he wouldn't go for the standard three-part harmony that the beatles were doing with the root note being sung and then the guitarist singing a third up and then the bass player singing a fifth up from that he would try and arrange chords really differently and he throughout the album in, in, in quite a lot of the songs, the key of the song is never fully established. Or if it is, they're always moving and switching it. And this is getting a little theoretical, but it's called the tonal center of the song. Um, if you think, you know... Um, well, I, I, as a drummer, I think I know a way to explain this to people who don't play chords. Go for it, do it. <laughs> Which is my case. Well, when you have a, 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 a certain key to a song, there's some notes that you expect to be played on that key and some chords that are made out of those notes that belong to a certain key. If you insert chords that belong to different keys, that still works, but depending on how much you do that, you don't know exactly which key we're talking about, isn't it? Does that... Does Bro, that, that's that's, that's probably the best it? definition of tonal sense I've ever heard. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Honestly, for a drummer, well done. That's incredible. Oh, Honestly. mate, I'm not only a drummer. I have a paper saying that I'm a musician. <laughs> you know, I'll show it to you. Honestly, but bro, seriously, I don't think I could have said that any better. That is brilliant. So, yeah, for all the listeners, what Felipe said is true. Um, and in this album... As Felipe said, loads of chords and unusual tonal centers. You know, expanding on what Felipe said, it would make sense to go from one tonal center to another if they're linked with uh, with a note or two, because you could play tonal center one, start playing one or two of the next tonal center's notes, and you're hinting at it, and then you're going to move to the new tonal center. But in this album, it is all over the place, and that's not in a in a way of saying it's messy. It just keeps jumping from section to section. I mean, the the third song, "That's Not Me," which is one of my favourite. You've got that section where it goes, um, "And I was re I, I I once had a dream, but I packed up and left for the city." And then it changes. It goes, I too found out of my lonely life. Where's it so pretty? That's a new key. And then it drops straight back down to another one. I once had a dream. And it just keeps going back and forward. And this happens throughout the album. Um, you know, the song. My, the my song feeling with, with, with those transitions is like. If you if you drop the whole music theory thing and just listen, if you're like. Oh, he's going to a place that I, I wasn't expecting, like melodically. Yeah. That's this, this song is going to a weird place, but it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's not as like well, I know you love him, but Frank Zappa is it's 
completely nuts, isn't it? In a, yeah. in a good way. <laughs> well, so I've, I've got. It's, sorry, not, it's not. It's not that crazy. You know? No. It's still, the got, melodies and lyrics still pop. I've got an answer for you for this. Hmm. There's three answers to this. What I've just described and what you've correctly confirmed, it's a classical musical approach. Because right. you can classical music using the right notes and the right chords, Beethoven could so easily go from one key to another and just completely take you by surprise. Uh, the Beatles approach is very the, the same way I said classical about Beach Boys. The Beatles, it's simple. It's pop slash blues. You can kind of guess nine times out of ten where the next Beatle chord is going to go. Now, you might yes. have three or four different options, but you know that it's going to be one of these. With Zappa, so we don't forget, Beach Boys, classical, uh, Beatles, blues and pop. And with Zappa, it's jazz. Because you can flow anywhere between them, um, and you can just in the split second you can you can take it. Uh, there's also some classical influence with Zappa. You know he was into very avant-garde composers like Edgar Varese, who would just completely fuck around with all the chords and stuff. But I, I just love that we're again. I keep repeating it, and I will keep on repeating it for this episode. That I love that we're hearing hugely classically inspired instruments and chord progressions presented in the most in one of the most pop formats especially during the 60s yeah it is it is and again um how if you want to make the greatest rock and roll album of all times uh in order to be the greatest you have to sell well you have to make sure that the, the people are going to listen to it and talk about it yeah. so there's 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 a, a really fine line between being extremely creative and still being able to communicate with people through your music. And I think uh, the main element for that, for the pop sound of this album, for, for let's, let's put it, the elements in the album that make it, um, if not conventional, make it accessible, for yeah. me are vocal harmonies, the melodies, and the lyrics. Absolutely. So basically, if you isolate the vocals, you could put a conventional uh, uh, instrumentation throughout the whole album, and in my opinion, it would still be great. Yeah. It wouldn't be as epic and iconic as it is, but it would still be a great, maybe pop album. It wouldn't be rock, yeah. in my opinion, because there's no no innovation, no freedom if you just like play the predictable stuff. Yeah. So I think the instruments are, are providing a... Um, I would use the, the, the word unpredictable, the unpredictable background for those uh, 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 very melodic vocal lines. And I think this this is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, carrying on with instruments, there's one thing I wanted to ask you, which is I wanted you to tell us about the very unusual and very unorthodox um, use of percussion in this uh, in this album, because there's not much drums, is there? And if we think about what drums is no, for Western music, drums mainly, look at what Ringo's doing, it's keeping time, keeping a backbeat, keeping the other instrumentalists in time, providing a little rhythm and a little beat. But you think about the song, I'm Waiting for the Day, it just starts with boom, 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 ba ba bum ba boom It's a leading instrument. It's not, yeah. it's not here, okay, here's the tempo, everyone ready to get in. Percussion is playing yeah. such an important part of this album as a leading instrument, not as a background timekeeper. No, no, exactly. That's an orchestral kind of vibe because when you have percussion in orchestras, they're not keeping the beat like yeah. in rock music and pop music. They do doing some interventions, and sometimes they have just a symbol, sometimes they have a, a timpani phrase, yeah. and they use that kind of vibe. And I think what adds to that 
uh, is not only the fact that percussion is pretty much a melodic uh, a melodical instrument instead of, of of percussion itself in the album is the fact they use uh, 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 unusual stuff like uh, there's an empty water bottle in Caroline No. And there's a, a kind of coke in Pet Sounds, which is an instrumental number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, all right. And, and here's another thing: the, the the title song is an instrumental, uh, which is you know, I give it's it's a bit of a the instrumental the two instrumental tracks in the album they give you a, a bit of a break, you know, between one one section and another of the album, and yeah. uh, they work really well. And you can hear all those weird percussion instruments all the way through. There's some tambourines played on two and four sometimes. So you do have an element of backbeat. The backbeat is the two and four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. When you clap your hands on two and four, if you do it properly, we talked about this before. Um, uh, so if you clap your hands on two and four, or when the snare drum plays on two and four, that's the backbeat. And that's so essential to rock and roll yeah. that it feels like it, it's impossible to make it work without it. And they did make it work. There's some elements of that. There's some tambourines and some stuff playing, uh, trying to provide a certain uh, a backbeat. But as you said, sometimes you have a two-bar drum phrase leading to nothing because there's no other <laughs> drumming ideas coming after. You're right. You know, and it's, yeah, I, I think... I think it's uh, yeah the, the the use of percussion and the use of uh, of objects to make sounds, it it's so uh, uh, different that could have gone really wrong. I don't know. I don't know how they achieved that. <laughs> um, one song where there is actually drums to, for the purpose of keeping time, for the purpose of giving us a steady backbeat, and actually it's probably the most accessible song on the album is uh, track seven, Sloop John B. It vaguely resembles a blues uh, slash pop chord structure, doesn't it? It's the one song that feels like, oh, this is familiar. This is a, a, a this is a taste of what they uh, of taking their standard original surf pop music and incorporating. Listen, it's still different and unconventional in some ways, but it is the most accessible song in the album, isn't it? Is and that's that's why it probably was released as a single, and it's one of my favorites. Maybe I like the uh, the the pop stuff. Uh, I think this this song, it, in my opinion, has some folk vibes. I know that it, it, yeah. it does feel. If you think about the vocals, if that song for me, if it was played on acoustic guitar and vocals, it would be closer to a folk song yeah. than anything else. The 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 weird instruments or objects they're using is 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 what makes it a. Uh, uh, very different to what you would expect. And there's a really kind of short section with vocals only, a few bars with no instruments and beautiful vocal harmonies. There's one part when you think, oh wow, those guys can sing. And I want to make I want to make a comment about this and I want to ask you a question about this. Okay. Um we, we you can go on about the instruments and everything else, but maybe the fact that they decided to only sing and let other people play in instruments is one of the uh the best decisions they could they could have made uh because they could focus on singing in a certain way and being creative and i would ask you this do you think as singers or or, or let's be more specific do you think their vocal harmonies are better than the beatles uh yes always 
uh, and that's something I've, I've I've thought of and I've I've already I've had the opinion of before. Um, firstly, there's more of them that sing, isn't there? With the Beatles, Ringo didn't often sing. Uh, it was mainly Paul and John, but George got and in George, there. George, George, there's some some. Well, of the there music. is, you know, Ringo did sing on. Um, he did use. Uh, he would. He would make it on vocals. Yeah. Like you know, boys from the first album. Yeah. Is, is what goes singing. on? Another one. What goes on? It, it, there would be at least one song per album with Ringo on vocals. Yeah. But, uh, but they, they still had, like I said earlier, they had a very conventional way of singing harmonies. And that is, if you look at a piano, you play the root note, which is the, the note in the melody. You go a third up and that harmonizes the chord and you go a fifth up from the root and you've got the root three and five, which is the standard um, uh, structure of a chord you play. Right. And that's very conventional, especially for blues and for pop and for Western music. Whereas... The Beach Boys, especially in this album, we already said about the tonal centers and the keys and the unconventional time signatures and structures. Adding on to that, vocal harmonies that aren't typical, that aren't usual to hear, that have different voicings. You know, for example, I'm making this up. Don't quote me as this is, don't quote me as a fact. But whereas I said the Beatles do root three and five, maybe the Beach Boys did root six and seven. Do, do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm not saying that's what happened, but that that's the sort of stuff they were messing around with, saying, oh, does this sound good? Does this sound interesting? So in terms of vocals in pop music, I don't know if this has been bettered. Because yeah, I, I, I don't think it has... I, I'm with you on that one. I don't think any album uh, has better vocal harmonies than this one. Not, you know? yeah, certainly, certainly I'm not. I'm a big fan of the Beatles and, and Queen vocal harmonies yes they have great yeah. vocal harmonies uh but to be honest this is the best album in terms of vocal harmonies i ever heard in my life there's so, something incredibly special and unique isn't there it's yeah. just you hear it and you think there's something not right but i love it <laughs> like there's something unorthodox there's <laughs> well, something the song, unconventional and let me talk about one of one of my favorite songs right at the end of the album the song here today the 10th uh, track of the album yeah uh, I, because of the harmonies, because of the way they they decided to to arrange the song, it feels like, regardless of where they go with the song, every time the chorus comes, it's a blast. Yeah, it's like wow, he that's the chorus again, and it's yeah. it always works. And they they take the song to weird places. They go back to that chorus, and and by that point in the album is when I believe the lyrics are going slightly more realistic. It's a really um, down to earth approach on on love instead of, or you know, as I said, uh, oh I'm in love. It's very kind of naive uh, teenage love. There's a line that song I really like. You've got to keep in mind, love is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Wow. So it's simple, and I don't see it as 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 negative. It's like, you know, enjoy. Seize you know. the day. Yeah, seize the day, you know, and and it's realistic. It's not it's not like uh, it's not as naive as in the beginning of the album. So you have got a bit of everything, you know, in terms of lyrics yeah. as well. And 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 again, um, it I don't I don't know how they came up with, with that, but the, the combination of those lyrics with the, the completely nonsensical orchestration that they use sometimes. <laughs> It simply works. It simply, you know, for me, it's like a soundtrack for a nice uh, 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 movie or, or anything like that. There, there is 
there's a cohesion within it, isn't there? If you listen mm-hmm. to Rubber Soul, yes, it is an album full of great songs. Yes, it is an al- it is an album where lyrically, thematically, it makes sense from start to finish. But each song is different, isn't it? Each song has a different sound, a different... I don't know what I'm trying to say, a different feeling, a different emotion. Whereas, as you've just said, Pet Sounds sounds like it could be a bunch of songs from one movie, doesn't it? Yes. Whereas the could. Beatles, I'm, again, we're just, we're just hypothetically saying this, Rubber Soul could have been different songs from uh, a bunch of romantic movies, for example. Yeah. Or, you know, if we're talking about the funny sides of Rubber Soul, it could have been a bunch of songs from a different, a bunch of different comedy movies that all made sense. They're all released around the same time, etc. But Pet Sounds, despite the fact that the songs are different, it's not like one flows into the other and it's a continuous 36 minute piece just split here and there. They are different songs. They do sound different, but there is there is a huge sense of cohesion there where everything sounds right and everything sounds I don't know what to say about it. It blows my mind just thinking about it. it that cohesion, is... that cohesion is uh, is probably the biggest achievement of the album. How can you yeah. go that far from from predictability? <laughs> and you're right. Yeah, do something no one has ever done before, but it makes sense from start to finish. And it's short and sweet. You know, the album yeah. is like, is uh, how long is it? It's 35 36. minutes, 36 minutes, yeah, 35 yeah. minutes, 57 seconds, to be more precise. Crazy. And it's like, it's short. And it, it it just, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's good. Maybe you don't want to hear that for an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, it, maybe, it, yeah, shorter, just, better. I exactly. Mean, I've, uh, I've this, been, uh, sorry, go on. No, if, if um, I don't know if there's any other songs you want to talk about, but I have... Uh, um, I, I, I got some of my notes here, some things I didn't want to uh, forget to mention. Uh, one of my favorite songs in the album is I Just Wasn't Made For These Times, uh, track yeah. 11. Um, because for me, the idea behind the lyrics is the most rock and roll thing in the album because okay. it's about not not belonging, you know, not yeah. being, you know, it's kind of like the, the title itself, I Just Wasn't Made For These Times. And I love there's one line, and that's how brilliant they are. The line is sung by the BVs, so you've okay. got to pay attention to it. Right. Uh, it's not something you're gonna you're gonna hear it like right in your face. It's, it's sung by the harmonies of the, the backing vocalists. Ain't found the right thing. I can put my heart and soul into. So yeah. how many people feel like that? It's like yeah. it's not that you're not passionate. It's like you didn't you didn't find that one thing that makes people. Uh, you know, put all their emotions into it, and and, yeah. and and that motivation for being alive and for you know achieving stuff, and and it's a really great line, and it's hidden behind the main vocal. It's great uh, songwriting. There's in that song, you know, there's the horse sounds at the end, you yeah. know, like the the click the click clopping of the horses, like yeah, like that. I thought that was hilarious because. Just just the juxtaposition between the song title saying, I just wasn't made for these times, and a horse sound. Now, horses is horses were a method of transport before cars. Yeah. So I wonder if 
I don't know. Maybe, if, I don't know if I'm looking too yeah. much into it, but I just well, love that he's saying we're, we're not in the right times. Here's a horse sound at the end. I don't know. That's just me. I just maybe I've looked a bit deep into it. Well, maybe it, it does make you think about medieval times. And, yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. I've heard there's a, well, I read this article that says that he, Brian Wilson wanted to bring a horse into the studio and like, <laughs> it's like and they, I think they talked him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been something else, though. I mean, yeah. if everything. Just, would... It was, but that shows his motivation. That shows that yeah. uh, that rivalry he had with the Beatles. Um, can, can I just can I interrupt and say that I yeah. don't? I, I tr- actually tried to avoid the word rivalry because yeah. everything you read about it, Brian Wilson had so much admiration for them, wasn't it? And yes. Like, you know, in, in fairness to you, you can still be rivals because you're both competing for the number one spot on the billboards. But uh, whenever I hear rivals, I always think there's kind of a, a nemesis thing. I've just been watching Drive to Survive, and I think Max Verstappen <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton, they're rivals. But I think Brian yeah. Wilson and the Beatles had so much um, respect for each other. Um, and I, the music industry, when you have musicians from different bands challenging uh, each other, that means yeah. we are the winners. Yeah. Because they 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 gonna they gonna try their best to be as good or better than the other guy, and that's still subjective. It's not like like sports when it's all oh, that guy won the game, so it's like that he's the winner. Yeah, and music uh, is like well, you might like one band more than the other, but if both are trying really hard to be as good as the other one, that means we all winners. Yeah, I yeah. think, and I think, and uh, because I said there's no rivalry, there's an interesting. Quote from uh, Paul McCartney. He said, <laughs> "I was just gonna, I was just gonna go on uh-huh. to that. Go on, you go for it." Okay, the song "God Only Knows" is the best song ever written. Yeah, I was, it was a single as well. I was going to move on um, just quickly and say about the other stuff. So you're right, and I think what we ju- what you just mentioned is when other musicians are sort of taking what uh, a band or artist has done and giving their opinions on it, both positive and negative. I think that's a a huge step because so many bands on albums aren't talked about just simply because they're not relevant. But check this out. I've got this here section in my notes as critics, um, but actually it's just other musicians talking about this album. So you're quite right. Paul McCartney said, no one is educated musically until they've heard this album. God, God only knows is the greatest song ever written. Pete Townsend said, now he had a negative thing to say about it. He said, it's too remote and too way out. It's written for a feminine audience. Eric Clapton had to say everyone in the band loved it. That's cream. Uh, without a doubt, a pop genius. Spencer Davis said, Brian Wilson is a great record producer. I'm a fan now and I want to listen to this LP again and again. John Lennon said Wilson was doing some very great things. And Mick Jagger disliked the songs, but enjoyed the sound and the vocal harmonies. And I think when you have a list of critics like that, I don't really mind that Pete Townsend and Mick Jagger had some negative things to say. When you've got Paul McCartney, Clapton, Spencer Davis, and John Lennon in your corner, that's that's a good enough review, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Also, you got you got another Pete Townsend is is famous for for uh, uh, you know trying to be provocative as well, and yeah. and the Who is famous for uh, performing mainly according to themselves to to male audiences. Yeah. You know. And that's why he's doing the using the feminine thing as oh you know is this for girls not for boys and in the end of the day like music is for whoever wants to listen to and it's and yeah, and yeah. it's it's not negative if you hit one audience more than the other and I think uh, they they were aiming for the audience but they they they've managed to impress the musicians as well and artists and as I said even if you have a couple of those guys making negative comments the fact 
they have to have an opinion about this album and they can't avoid yes, commenting exactly. about the existence of this album. It means it really, it, it really uh, uh, got somewhere, like it really reached a, 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 a position in, in rock history that is undeniable and you can't simply ignore as I did for years, the existence <laughs> of this masterpiece. The um, <laughs> sort of quickly, so moving on from the critics, moving on to the accolades, um, the, the, it very, very frequently, uh, I'd be very surprised actually to hear if there was a, an organization that didn't have it uh, in their top five at least, but check this out. Mojo, The Times, New Musical Express and Uncut, they're all music publications, all have it as the greatest album of all time. Rolling Stone, VH1 and Pitchfork all have it in the top three. And I can pretty much guarantee that Sgt. Pepper and Revolver are maybe the other three. I think actually uh, Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde, was in a couple of them as well. Um, Melody Maker could not choose between Pet Sounds or Revolver for Album of the Year 1966. <laughs> uh, wow. and, the, and this album is preserved in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. Um, which is that, an achievement for for pop music, isn't it? Right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you know more than me. I'm not sure it's just pop music, but being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So I don't know any other albums that are in it, but the Congress have said that this is culturally hugely significant. It, it, it's know. it's 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 a piece of history. It's a piece of American history. Isn't exactly. It? That's basically, what they say it's not only art; it became part of history. What and do you think? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think? Because I think it's quite funny that the blues came from America and classical music from Europe. I mean, I'm being very generalizing here, but yet when we cross it over, Beatles go for the bluesy stuff and Beach Boys go for the classical stuff. Just for, just for these albums. It's, it's, it's funny because you have, you have some like, well, the, the very first song on the album has a shuffle vibe, which is very bluesy. Yeah. You know, the group, at least the groove. And, and the Beatles did flirt a lot with classical music as well. So I think the Beatles right in the beginning they 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 sounded more like a blues slash rock band, rock and roll yeah. band. Uh but they they did uh, went really far into 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 the classical stuff. So I think but I think the Beach Boys with this album they went further really in terms <laughs> yeah. of, of of going away from the traditional roots of rock music. And uh, yeah, it's it blew my mind, and it's it's funny that I've only listened to this 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 whole album a few weeks ago for the first time. And um, I mean, don't don't let that happen to you, whoever, <laughs> yeah. whoever you are listening to us. Well, just, check just this out. go go on and listen from start to finish. <laughs> Multiple times, please, yeah. Um, so the Beach Boys biographer, John Stebbins, he had this to say about the style of the album. He said, Brian Wilson defies any notion of genre safety. There isn't much rocking here and even less rolling. Pet Sounds is at times futuristic, progressive and experimental. There's no boogie, no woogie, and the only blues are in the themes and in Brian's voice. That sums up beautifully, doesn't it? I mean, I think he's he ha he hasn't obviously said that the part that I'm strongly feeling that he hasn't said is that I think there's a huge classical influence. But other than that, in terms of 
uh, modern Western styles and genres, he's hit the nail of the head. It's not rock and roll. It's not blues. It's not pop. It's not R&B. It's not doo-wop. It's not boogie-woogie. It's tiny little pieces of all of them fitted together in one big puzzle and embellished with classical instruments, isn't it? It is. Wow, that's that's a good a good way of defining it. Yeah, and it, it's oh man, it, I don't know, I don't know what more to say about it. Well, <laughs> it's just it, it, it has become an album that that, that I I think I, I think I'm gonna like it even more uh, when I when I listen to it again and again. Brilliant. Because my third listen to the album is when I was like, oh wow. That's something yeah. here, and there's you know, and there's, there's parts. Sorry, no, but maybe, maybe that maybe because it was so uh, different, um, it kind of related a, a bit more to what uh, British bands were doing at the time, and it's it it wasn't that well received in America. We charted number well, when I mean not well received, charted number ten, which is <laughs> great achievement. But for 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 the greatest album of all, of all times, as they wanted it to be, it wasn't it wasn't uh, what they expected, I guess, but it was number two in the UK, which says a lot. I yeah. think maybe it was maybe that was the reason why Hendrix came from America to the to the UK because I think that kind of experimental music was maybe uh, really well received in the UK in a way mm. that the American audiences probably were not ready for or not yeah. didn't want to buy or whatever. But yeah. when once you're successful in the UK, there's a chance that that's going to reflect in your American uh, American market as well, so it, it's it's interesting they charted in, in very different positions in America and the UK. Yeah, um, is there? You said you had some other notes. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we sort of finish up? Any other? No, I think I think uh, it's time for your monologue. I Good. think. What do you okay, think? all right. Well, yeah, I think that too. But before that, I was just going to ask you what your favorite, if you have a favorite moment of the album or a favorite song or. Even even one bar of music, because <laughs> this is the album where one bar of music can stand out, you know. Yeah, I think I really enjoyed uh, Sloop John B. Yeah, uh, I I I think I, I like the overall concept of the, the, the changing the, the the theme of the lyrics towards the end. Mm. And the song here today is I I would say it's, it's difficult. It's it's really weird because I I like. I really love the the way the album starts, but as it progresses, I, I think I like the 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 end of the album better than I like the the first it, ones. And it I think it matures, today, doesn't it? It matures as it yes, goes on. It does. I think Caroline No is too sad for an ending. Uh, so yeah. I my favorites are here today, and I just wasn't made for these times. Nice. Okay. And, this, and the single is Loop John B. So those are my favorite songs. Do you have a favorite song? I do. I've got a few. Um, wouldn't it be nice? That's not me. Uh, I'm waiting for the day. And Caroline, no, actually, the um, that last minute and a half of the album, where you've got—I I know you're right. Caroline, no, is a pretty sad song. Um, but just the chord progression, because again, the one thing, the one genre we haven't chatted about actually is jazz, and there's not a huge amount of jazz in it, so I don't think we need to go too far in. But pet sounds, you know, the instrumental—that's almost like big band jazz orchestration going on. Yeah. And the thing about jazz, the, 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 if you get jazz down to its bare bones, it's about tension and release. It's about creating tension with the notes you're playing, with the chords you're deciding to play, and then releasing it to, to sort of, yeah, well, release the tension and to give the listener a pleasant experience. With Caroline No, I just love that simple melody that repeats over and over again. It goes, 
Do 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 do. I was dead and done, but done. Then that's not, and it releases me. And I just think that uh, I've been speechless a few times this episode, man, because I don't know how to describe it. I just I love it, and this isn't actually. I wouldn't. Maybe maybe after this episode, it might pop into like my top albums of all time. But I, I don't listen to this and think. These are my favourite songs. This is my favourite album. But you cannot help. Do you know what? This is the perfect moment to go into my monologue, yeah? Yes. Yeah, okay, here it's we go. Very it's, it's a bit longer than usual, but I think it's worth it. <clears throat> so, using classical instruments to lead the music, using percussion to do something other than keep time, using odd chord voicings to create tension and ambiguate the tonal centre of the song, using tempo and metre changes alongside unconventional song structures, all the while creating beautiful and agreeable pop melodies and deep, meaningful lyrics to accompany it, has led to the creation and execution of some of the best contemporary music ever written by one person. And at 23 years of age, this is a hugely remarkable feat for Brian Wilson. I think it's fantastic that he was using the Beatles as motivation and inspiration to push his song and lyric writing to the fullest. I think it surpasses Rubber Soul and maybe even Revolver as a musical achievement, especially for the time. Is it accessible pop music to the same extent as the Beatles? No. The Beatles took their pop music and they sprinkled it with exotic and progressive sounds, whilst Wilson seems to have based the entire album on the basis of it being unusual, unorthodox, unconventional, but he completely retains the pop mentality and the payoff is definitely poppy because you come away, despite the unusual and uncomfortable elements, having pleasant melodies, agreeable chord structures, even though, you know, it does float about. So for that reason, I think the Beatles music works more as out and out pop music. And as I said earlier, for me, the Beach Boys are right in the middle. If you go too far, one way, you get to Zappa, the avant-garde, way out there, jazz fusion rock. And if you go too far the other way, you go to the Beatles, which is very poppy, very accessible. The Beach Boys with this album are sitting right in the middle. I love the idea and I'm telling myself that Beach Boys and the Beatles were one-upping each other for the for a few years. Rubber Soul came out. Brian Wilson said, well, fuck it, I'm going to do Pet Sounds. The Beatles said, what? Well, okay, we'll do Revolver. Then Beach Boys said, oh, well, we'll do Smiley Smile. And then finally the Beatles said, We'll do Sergeant Pepper. And everyone said, fine. Okay, Beatles, you win. <laughs> but the Beatles get mentioned in the same sentences as classical composers for their melody and songwriting, for the chord progressions they sort of popularized. And I think it's only fair to include Brian into this discussion. The music theory and exceptional ear that the likes of Beethoven, Bach and Mozart had uh, had to have to write their music and organize their chord voicings is substantial. But for Brian Wilson to have maturely and effectively blended so many different styles and influences into one cohesive and united album using so many unorthodox techniques, but actually executing a pop album is nothing short of legendary songwriting. Couple that with his technological innovations and ambitions to create a sonically complete album, then to me, he deserves to be in the same category as the composers mentioned above. I feel like what they did in their time is comparable to what Brian has done in his time. And for that reason, for me, Pet Sounds is one of the greatest musical achievements in Western music popular history. Oh, wow. 
You've said it all. <laughs> I'll put that into essay form. Sorry for the length of that, everyone. Um, I'll put that into essay form. I'll send it off to the uh, Library of Congress. Maybe they can add that to it. Um, but, <laughs> but all jokes aside, you know, I, I spent a lot of time writing that because I felt it deserved it, man. I felt the right. album and Brian. Listen, he's. I mean, this, this album. I, th- I think this album is so well crafted that there's nothing uh, we could do with a podcast episode that would make justice to yeah how really how you know nothing nothing uh no words could actually uh uh, uh be fair and and and, and yeah. describe what this album actually is and and what it represents for for music industry uh and for art in general so best thing you can do is to stop listening to us now and listen to the album and with that we'll end it there um thank you bro just quickly i wanted to say thank you know i'm so i'm so glad like i said at the start that we found an album that you didn't sort of know already um because i'm so glad it's just it puts a smile on my face to see the smile on your face when you told me what you thought of the album um so yeah i mean let's end it here you're right i was going to ask you one more question but i think what's the point like we've gone through already Ah, there's no need that guys Thank you very much for joining us. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. I mean, like I said, this is not in my all-time top 10 or maybe even 20 albums, but the, as Felipe mentioned, the craft of it, the the passion. Well, the, 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 fact, the fact that someone is uh, um, brave enough to say, I'm going to do the greatest album of all times, even if you don't consider it as such, uh, the attempt of doing it and the attitude and the... And, and the effort and the hours and hours of, of hard work into creating the album is all of that is in itself uh, um, something that most humans have 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 never done. So yeah, yeah hats absolutely. off to Brian Wilson I, and to like every musician involved in the album. And, and can we just say that the other Beach Boys were involved and they played their part as well? But this is Brian's masterpiece, isn't it? it? Is. So well done, well done, the rest of the Beach Boys. You've done it again. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> But Brian, yeah, hats off to you. Felipe, one more very quick question. Um, Brian Wilson set out to record and achieve one of the greatest rock albums ever written. Did he achieve it? Yes. Because you said (laughs) one of the greatest. Yes, because I don't think there's such a thing as the greatest album ever. Well, there's too many variables, isn't there? There's too many variables. It's too too hard to to, to pick one album. But now... um, even if it's, even if it's not fun for my personal taste, I think in terms of historical like relevance to music, it should be put into anyone's top ten. So sorry, I know I said last question, but you just said that it's not to your personal taste. But do you like the music? Would you listen? Yes, to it I do. Time? I love it. I'm saying like it is. It's it is. I really enjoyed it. Good. Like you could maybe maybe it wouldn't be on my top ten because because there's so many albums that I like. I don't know. But when I think about the most important ones and how that has influenced everything that came after it, then yes, it would be on the yeah. top ten. And it, like the greatest of all time, well, I don't think no one deserves that. Like because it, it would be unfair on on all the other bands we've been talking about in our podcast. And but, like, but one so, of, right? 
Oh man, so many, so many great albums. Thanks a lot for introducing me to this. Uh, That's all good, bro. I'm, yeah. I'm really, yeah, I'm so happy you loved it. That's really cool. Anyway, guys, thank you again for joining us on the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As I say, uh, nearly every episode, please, um, whatever you're listening on, please give us a review. It takes a few seconds to hit five stars or uh, uh, on Apple or Spotify. And if you've got an extra minute, just type what you love about the show for us. Helps get us up the charts, helps boost up the algorithms. Uh, we're also on instagram and facebook you know we're doing a bit more there and uh, now we're posting some clips for you to get involved in and join in some conversations on our social media pages um i'm not gonna ask felipe where you can find us this week because i just told you it's the long live rock and roll podcast on facebook and instagram um and all your podcasts everywhere. and stuff everywhere um so please come along get involved give us a, a like and a review uh and that will help us a lot so thank you for joining. you've got nothing to say just type not too shabby there we go we'll take that a lot worse and give us five stars lovely so yeah thanks again for joining guys we'll be back in two weeks thank you and uh, keep on rocking everyone and as usual take care and long live rock and roll